0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Heroes and Howlers and the Rest is History. I'm Mikey Robbins. I'm a bit of a history nerd,
1: but my mate Paul Wilson... Hi, everybody. Paul's a proper historian, all the way from Oxford. Thanks, Mikey. Okay, folks, so here's the show... It's about the unsung heroes, yeah. the bizarre twists of fate, those weird bits of history that have surreptitiously so changed the course of mankind. Yeah, actually made it- it's also about the cock-ups.
0: <laughs> yeah. the, those howlers, the moments of madness, that they're sometimes tragic, sometimes comical, that have made the world what it is today. Hi everyone, and welcome to Extra Helpings. Now, if you've come across this before, thanks for coming back. But if you haven't, this is like
1: we'd actually like do this at the end of a season for, for the stuff we couldn't quite squeeze in. That's right, folks. Yeah, we have got questions from you guys, of course. Yeah, on Twitter and on Facebook. Thanks for those coming in. Um, but we've also got a few ideas we weren't able to squeeze in of our own. Yeah, and also
0: too, don't forget if you are just joining us, we've actually got. Two whole seasons in our, dare I
1: say the word, back catalogue. Yeah, that's right. Go back, have a look at them. Um, uh, Or just keep following us on social media because we we like to put up maps, of course, uh, cartoons, backstories, those kind of
0: things. Okay, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this once. Right. I've got to admit, Paul, your maps on Twitter and Facebook go really well with the episodes.
1: Okay, thank you very much. All right, so... Where we are we? First, uh, season two, episodes one to five, and we kicked off, of course, with your donut lassies. The do- yes, indeed. The, the stories of the brave women that, that kept the
0: spirits of the troops lifted yeah, during the harsh days of World War One World War One exactly. And bizarrely enough, a few people then asked me about the history of the donut. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm more than happy... More to- than happy to talk about donuts. Oh, yeah, particularly in terms of, you know, American culture. Sure. Let's be honest, huh? Deep frying dough has been with us since we've had deep fryers. <laughs> yep, yep, I yep. Mean, even in the Americas, they have found fossilised donuts. I'm not making this up, mate. Go on. That, that go back pre-Columbian. Wow. Yeah. But what we know is the modern American, you know, Western European. What donut, we call a donut. Yeah. Well, that can pretty much be traced to the first uh, Dutch that came over to New Amsterdam, mm. mm. they day Manhattan, and they'll bring a Dutch treat known as Ollie Cox. Ollie cocks. Oily cakes. <laughs> Oily cakes, oily deep, cakes. Deep fried cake. Okay, <laughs> and so that's
1: how it goes. Right, but, but yeah, then, I suppose. Yeah. yeah, donuts, oily cakes. I get it. Yeah, go on. And then
0: there was a woman called Elizabeth Gregory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is about 150 years later, and uh, she lives in New England. And her mm-hmm. son is a ship's captain. Right. Now she takes the oily cake and combines it. <laughs> I know oil oily cake. cake. Go yeah. on. Oh yeah. Well, she takes the original oily cake. Yeah. And she combines it with goods that her son was importing, like uh, from the from the East and from various places, like mm. nutmeg, cinnamon, and. Lemon zest, ah, so,
1: yes, yeah, and cinnamon. sugar.
0: Because by now we've got access to sugar from the south, the plantations, mm. and also you know down to the Caribbean as well. Sure, but she comes up with the idea to counter the often raw centre. Because think about it: when you're cooking it, hard on the outside, can, you know, and quickly doesn't get through. Yeah, yeah. So she fills it up with hazel or walnuts, ah. and that's where we get the word from because oh, she puts nuts in the dough. Nuts, dough got nuts. it. Okay. Now, there's so was- w- how come the hole then? Well. She used to love to tell the story, this, this Elizabeth Gregory woman, <laughs> on, that the donut got its hold because her son used to impale them on the ship's wheel during storms. <laughs> it's not actually.
1: Oh, no, no, that would be good. Now there is also one other question, wasn't it, Mikey? Because a few people have asked us about. Obviously, you got your donut lassies, but what about the dough boys? Are they connected? You
0: see, that's a common misconception, actually, mm. right? Because American uh, infantry troops were known as dough boys, and some people th- yeah, did think it was because of the donuts they loved in the trenches. Mm. But the you know there's a several stories about it, but probably the best one I reckon mm. goes back to the Civil War. When oh, the, when the U.S. Civil War. Yeah, the U.S. Civil War when the cavalry would mock infantry soldiers for being covered in fine dust ah. from marching along the roads and ah. looked and said they were covered in dough. So they were the doughboys. They were the doughboys. Do- they got their name right. But the popularity of donuts is really increased by the donut lassies in World War One.
1: Mm. And something else we got the tweet about the donut. Machines. Oh, yeah. yeah, You know when you go to one of those big donut chains and Mm. you see the donut machine? Krispy Kreme, yeah. Sorry, no plugging.
0: Well, actually, yeah, that whole thing about making that donut on that machine, which is mm-hmm. like a conveyor belt, which also makes sure it's it's got a hole in it as well. Mm-hmm. 1920, I think in New York, a bloke called Adolf Levitt, he invents the donut machine where it goes in his dough, gets deep fried and comes out the conveyor belt and then gets rolled in the sugar and the cinnamon. With a hole in it. With a hole in it. Right. He invents that 1920. By 19 Ooh. by 1931 the guy's making millions of
1: dollars a year. That's how big it went. Uh, Alright, okay. Now the other question we also got, uh, Mikey, because it was World War I, mm. um, and we did mention the Second Reich, um, and a few people have asked me uh, two questions, Paul. One, what were the Reichs, and two, how many were them? Yeah, all right, so um, let me talk you through it. We've basically got three German Reichs now. <laughs> unfortunately, everyone knows the Third Reich Hitler, yeah. um, but the First Reich that actually lasted for a thousand years, give or take, um, and it all goes back to the beginning of Charlemagne. Now, Charlemagne, of course, was the French emperor, um, and he was the... Which which is confusing me right now. Yeah, that's right, because he was the emperor of the Franks. But what you've got to understand is the Franks, back then, Francia wasn't just France. You've also got mid-Francia and east-Francia, which is what's present-day Germany. So um, fast forward to 843, um, and the emperor Louis the Pious, he dies, and there's this treaty of Verdun, whereby he splits up his kingdom amongst his three sons, So his oldest son, Lothar, becomes Lothar I. Charles the Bald, he gets West Frank I've heard of him. Yeah, and Louis the German, funnily enough, gets Germany. Right. right? But it's still not until about 962, when Otto I gets crowned, that we actually have this term, the Holy Roman Empire. Emperor. So, really, we should say the first right probably starts with Otto um, and lasts right up until um 1806. Then, let me guess. Gone. Was Napoleon involved? Got it in one. Napoleon defeats the last emperor, Francis II, and he dissolves the Holy Roman Empire and he replaces it with those that Confederacy of the Rhine. So, that's the first right. That's the first one gone. Uh, yeah. The second one, though, it didn't take long to get the second one back up and running, and that comes, of course, with German unification, you know, Bismarck, all that sort of stuff, 1871. It's what we call the Second Reich Imperial Germany, you know, your Prussian, your Kaiser Wilhelms, um, and, and that actually sees Germany expand um, as far as Poland, even up to Lithuania, and of course, you know, you've got your colonies as well over in Africa. Yeah, and also too in the Pacific as well. Oh, yeah, New Guinea, that's right. Yeah. So... End of First World War, though, of course. Yeah, you got the November Revolution in 1918 yeah. when the Germans are defeated. That's the end of the Second Reich. Third Reich, well, let's yeah. just say,
0: yeah, OK. It, it did not go as Hitler had planned, and that's a good thing. <laughs> Which brings us to our second episode in the second season, Antony Cleopatra and Julius
1: Caesar. That's right. And our, th- our epic. That's right, indeed, our, our ancient history epic. Uh, and it's quite nice uh, on uh, Twitter. A lot of you agreed with me that uh, Mark Antony should have be seen as a hero, and quite a few agreed with me that you know Augustus could be a howler. You know, And uh, <laughs> as you said, Mikey, after all, you know, which one did Richard Burton play hey, in the movie? And, and he got the choice. But, but here's where Twitter was split. Mm. Was it? Cleopatra. Cleopatra. Was she a hero? Was she a howler? So we've got a couple of stories here. Mm. We hope Mike clear this up. Mikey, you've got one about... Her and Mark Antony having a banquet Yeah, this
0: story is over a millennia old Mm. It's one of the longest running stories about Antony and Cleopatra And in fact, it's depicted in many, many paintings Including a rather beautiful one by an Italian artist Mm. You can catch in uh, in Melbourne Oh, right But anyway, the story goes that Cleopatra and Mark Antony Would challenge each other over Who could throw the most expensive banquet Right In in Alexandria Mm. One night it's Cleopatra's turn to throw the banquet mm-hmm. and Mark Anthony notices once the guests have gone that he probably spent more on the previous night's banquet. Mm-hmm. Well, according to the story, Cleopatra then takes an earring from her ear, a pearl earring, mm-hmm. crushes it up, puts it in a glass of wine or some say vinegar, mm-hmm. drinks it and then goes, well, now mine's more expensive. <laughs> mine's <are> more expensive <laughs> than yours, it's right. It's a famous story. It gets told over and over again. But here's the thing. Its source is probably Pliny the Elder.
1: yeah who, as you know, is a great propagandist for Rome. And that's that's what we were saying, wasn't it, in the episode. Mm. The problem is Mark Antony's name, his reputation, has been blackened deliberately by Augustus and his followers later on. So that's, that's the problem. We can't really tell if that indicts... Cleopatra or not. But uh, as we said, there are a couple of things that you can't argue with when it comes to Cleopatra. <laughs> and for a start, she bumped off quite a few brothers and, and quite a few sisters. Yes. Uh, and uh, people have asked us about that story that we mentioned about marrying her brothers. So um, they, what the deal was, that she became joint pharaoh with two of her brothers. Mm. Um, they ruled jointly, um, but as part of the ceremony, they actually got married. Now, whether that meant there was incest going on or not, no, no one can say, no no one can prove, <laughs> but obviously it does raise a couple of questions. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, I've already got a couple, mate. <laughs> and when it comes to pharaohs, you know, obviously incest is, it wouldn't be the first time, let's just say. Which brings us to episode three in the history of King Lear and your mate, Nahum Tate. It's the guy that turned King Lear
0: the Great Tragedy into basically a rom-com <laughs> with a happy ending. Yeah. And they've got a few people asking about, you know, what are the worst Shakespeare adaptations? Yes. And I've got to admit, I had fun. I've compiled a list of what I reckon are the worst. These are all modern. Right. These are all modern Shakespeare adaptations. 1996... Tromeo and Juliet It's <laughs> Tromeo Yeah you get Troma Studios The famous uh, Sort of low budget Horror studio oh, It's right. basically Romeo and Juliet But vampires <laughs> Body piercing Kicking sex And car crashes Is what it said On the poster <laughs> In the same theme 2011's Gnomeo and Juliet Gnomeo An oh, animated dear. feature With the two leads As garden gnomes From opposing families <laughs> This film actually made money. <laughs> okay, now we get into some really shonky stuff. Get yep. over it. Two thousand and one, a teen movie where two distraught ex-lovers perform in their high school's production of a Midsummer Night's Rock and Eve, co-star Cisco of the Thong Song fame. <laughs> awful, mate, just awful. The very next year, you get a Midsummer Night's Rave. Yeah, oh, basically. Dear. Uh, Variety said this is two thousand and two. Variety said goes for cheap laughs by encouraging the actors to chew on the scenery. Oh, dear. Similarly, not one of his most famous plays, but, (laughs) mate, it wasn't helped in 2014. It was turned on a movie with a good cast. It's Mm. about an outlaw biker gang, bad cops and a drug lord. Mate, it stars Ethan Hawke and Ed Harris. Right. But it's been described in several reviews as an incomprehensible mess, (laughs) vapid pretentious tripe, (laughs) and one critic wrote, this is why people hate Shakespeare. Oh, ouch. And I can't leave this list without mentioning Romeo and Juliet, Sealed with a kiss. Sealed with a kiss. Makes sense. Yeah, no mate. It's Romeo and Juliet. It's made in 2006, but they're animated seals instead of humans. Oh, sealed. Why not? Yeah, bizarre. (laughs) Which brings us to episode four, which was the treasure fleet and your concept of big China, little China. And, Paul, I'm going to give myself a glass of water because this is really in your
1: wheelhouse, mate. Well, first a start, I've got to say, um, thank you. Somebody actually started sending me maps for this one. Oh, you made his day. <laughs> yeah, and I did not like all those flags with the East Turkestan, Manchuria, Yunnan, Tibet. But the question that people wanted to ask was, you know, is China a nation state or is it, as we alluded, maybe more of a federation, a bit like the USSR? Like the old Soviet Union, yeah. yeah. And um, – you know because we'd highlighted how the USSR had gone within thirty years from, you know, Khrushchev at the with the Western ambassadors at the Polish embassy, you know, saying, History's on our side, we will bury you. My vast pokoronim, you know, and the, the shoe banging in nineteen sixty against the Philippine delegate of the you United I, Nations. I, at that stage they're the number two superpower, they're the nuclear power in the world. Kaga is the first man in space, and in thirty years you get total collapse. Now, I wasn't trying to say that in thirty years we're gonna to get total China collapse because that would be a big call, mate. Yeah, what I wanted to say was within thirty years there's no more USSR, but of course there still was a Russia. Yeah, and there still right. very much is a Russia. Yeah, with a bit of thanks to Mr. Putin. Yeah. yeah. So what? So what I'm thinking about China is that it's going to be a little China phase potentially, which would mean oh yes, they'll keep that strong core in the middle. You know, the Han Chinese centre. Yeah. Um, but it'll look very, very different to the map of China that we have today. So that was my question, Mikey. But you you asked something rather different, weren't you? Yeah, it was my own fault, I reckon. I, I did mention uh, you know, the
0: Chinese eunuchs and, and the... Turkish yes, and they, the they, eunuchs, they, yes. And, and I mentioned Russian Unix, And people asked me about... And they said, well, look, if you're going to talk about eunuchs, I should probably talk about the most famous eunuch in Western history. Go on. Well, you would have heard of this poor eunuch called Sporus. Oh, Uh, yes, of course, Nero. Nero. Okay, after Nero murdered his second wife, Sabina. Nero was a psychopath. Mm. Actually, it gets more psycho he met a slave boy called Sporus. That's right. And some say that the young Sporus he had more
1: than a passing resemblance to Sabina. Well, I think he actually put out the call to try and find someone who looked like his ex-wife, didn't he?
0: And, of course,
1: Nero being the psychopath
0: <laughs> that he was, the moment that he met this poor Sporus, yeah. he had the poor boy castrated, and he married him, making right. him sort of the Empress of Rome. Mm. Well, mind you, Sporus wore the robes and regalia yeah, you oh, of an empress, and he accompanied Nero on a trip to Greece. Now, you know, this has nothing to do with contemporary trans concepts. No. This is being inflicted on this poor boy. That's right. After Nero's death, he was taken by Nymphidius Sabinus, who was a leader in the Praetorian Guard. That's
1: right, yeah, he wasn't even let off after Nero died. Now
0: it gets worse because he was killed by his own men after a failed bid to be emperor. Mm. Because right now, what era are we in, Paul?
1: Yeah, we're in the old year of the four emperors, aren't we, AD 69? Yeah, so after the death of Sabinus,
0: Sporus is once again out on his own and in danger. So he hooks up with, and you would have heard of this black, Otho.
1: That's uh, right, yeah, Otto.
0: Yeah. yeah, Otto actually managed to rule for some... Three months, but then he lost the battle of Betaracium. Yes, that's right. And who did he lose that to? Vespasian. No,
1: he lost it to Vitellius. Oh, of course, I know there's one more. To be- I've got to say <laughs> one more before the
0: Vespasian comes to the rescue. You're right. So Otto takes his own life after that. Yeah. Now Sporus finds out that this bastard Vitellius mm. is intending to use him as entertainment, you know, in a reenactment, in a gladiatorial and fatal. Version of the rape of a Prosperina, which is of course the old the old Pluto myth. So, (sighs) so basically, Vitellius is going to have Sporus killed in the arena for entertainment, and Sporus sadly takes his own life. (laughs)
1: OK, so the last one for this episode was the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. And Mikey, of course, uh, told us in that episode just how Lincoln <laughs> used to enjoy keeping his documents hidden under his hat, didn't he? It, it, it was one of the side benefits of having that tall hat. He would actually keep documents in there. So if few of you have know, asked, is that really where keep it under your hat comes from? Um, uh, well, I've got a couple of contenders. Yeah. Uh, there's also the medieval... English bowmen um, who would keep their bowstrings dry they'd keep them under their hat for example at Agincourt just in case it rained so that then they could still use their archery to defeat the French see that makes sense to me because uh, wet weather did play a big part in Agincourt well anywhere in northern Europe really yeah, isn't yeah. it Mikey but unfortunately I'm sorry to say it looks like that's just probably another one of those apocryphal tales a bit like that legendary one about the archers you know, you're giving the V sign to show they still had the two fingers oh <laughs> That's oh, is that story not true? No, I'm sorry. I'm, no. I've always loved that story. Okay, I'll, I'll file that under the apocryphal file. But something that is true and something that you have got a f- uh, some real detail on is um, the other question we were asked is what was this famous actor um, Booth doing murdering president in the first place. Well, actually he was a very famous actor. Not just him
0: but, but think about it like this um, basically Booth was part of a family that was like the, the Hemsworths um, the Barrymores were yep. in earlier America or, or the Baldwins. And in fact, It all starts with a, with a guy called Junius Brutus Booth the patriarch. Right. He was born in 1796 and he was the first acting Booth mm. and the first child to follow him was uh, Junius Brutus Booth Jr. He was born <laughs> 1821 Right. but he, look, he, he followed into the career, but he could never really get out of dad's shadow. Right. The big one, though, is Edwin Booth. Edwin, made, Eddie. He was born in 1833 and he became one of the most loved and respected actors in the country. Because here's the thing about Edwin, he, as I said, he wanted to have a great career. In fact, he became so famous in New York, he, he founded the Players Club. And if you see that great bar in the documentary series where Scorsese interviews friend Libwitz mm-hmm. in Pretend It's a City, yep. that's the bar that. That Edwin founded. And one last story before we go about him. Mm -hmm. Robert Lincoln wrote a letter once to the Century Magazine long after the American Civil War. Robert Lincoln. Now, that's Lincoln's eldest son. Yeah. Now, Lincoln retells the story. Now, it was either late 1864 or early 1865. Mm. Robert Lincoln is in New Jersey. Mm. He almost falls under a trolley car under the wheels and Mm. to probably a certain death. But a man reaches out and grabs him by the scruff of the neck and Mm. pulls him up. He turns around and it's Edwin Booth, who he recognises because he's a famous actor, Edwin Booth had single-handedly saved Lincoln's son from certain death. Wow. And this is only a few months before Edwin Booth's brother then goes on
1: and murders Abraham Lincoln. And that squares the circle. We better get on. That's the end of today's episode, folks. So, the end of your first dollop of extra helpings. Hope you enjoyed it. And look, you know the drill by now, so keep messaging us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whichever you prefer. And if you want to go back to season one, you know, go back to the back catalogue as Mikey suggested you know, always the same handle at the rest is hist the rest is hist, you, you'll find it in the show notes and wherever you're listening please don't forget to like, subscribe comment on whichever platform you happen to use, you know, always good to get the feedback and uh, tell us a few more heroes and hells you'd like to have covered in future episodes alright, which brings us to next week which is the other half of the Unfinished Business episodes 6 to 10 <laughs>